Thank you very much. That was wonderful. Appreciate it. Well, you know where we are, so let's get to it, shall we? The book of Genesis, and we are going to start our reading in chapter 29. And uh, I'm really uh, appreciative of the um, way that people have uh, shown an interest in the account and the story and the development of all of this. And uh, so, believe it or not, we've got a long ways to go in the life of Jacob. Tomorrow night, uh, we're going to take a break, and uh, I'd like to preach a church message tomorrow night uh, that is having to do with the church. And I just feel like that's what the Lord had me to do, and I ran it by the pastor. And of course, he wants me to do what, he, what I feel like the Lord wants me to do. And I never did uh, say publicly uh, two years ago when we were here we were away from home for, I think, about six weeks. And the pastor had said uh, to me a couple of years before that, he said, how about I set up an itinerary because I'd like to promote Heartland Baptist Bible College in this part of the country. And I set up an itinerary for you uh, to preach in the general area, the driving distance and so forth. And so we did that back in 21 and uh, preached uh, here in Columbus and I, I can't remember, up around Statham or not Statham, it used to, the church used to be at Statham, where is it now? Winder. And uh, then um, for Brother Craig Bennett down here and uh, just then North Carolina and just all around. And I, I, I mean, you just don't get that kind of treatment. Uh, and I was thinking earlier about when uh, Brother and Miss Ingram were uh, attending Bible Baptist Church in Stillwater. And our daughter, our oldest daughter was there, son-in-law, and spoke to us of them. And so I just kind of knew them from a distance that way. Never dreamed we'd have the kind of friendship and fellowship that we have now. But I'm very thankful for it. And uh, there comes with that the life of... Uh, of this congregation. So I appreciate that, Pastor. It's a blessing and a contribution to us, to our lives, and we are very thankful for that. All right, now let's go to uh, chapter uh, 29. <clears throat> and uh, last night we talked about the boomerang effect. We saw it begin last night. Uh, it's not over for sure. And so by the time we come here to our reading, uh, things are really getting complicated because we have one man and two wives. And that's exactly twice as many wives as God meant for a man to have. And so, but the story gets uh, worse as we move along. So let's stand and read beginning in verse 31. Verse number 31. So Jacob thought he was getting Rachel. He instead got Leah, the elder, agreed to work seven more years uh, for Rachel, which he took her then approximately a week after the wedding to Leah, and now he has Rachel for a wife. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, I need, I need to pause right there for just a minute, uh, you don't want to read too much into that uh, because it has to be a hatred uh, comparatively. In other words, the love that he had for Rachel 
was very, very strong. It states it so in the previous verses. And so uh, considering or comparing the love that he had for Rachel, then Leah, it says, would, was hated. So the reason I say don't read too much into that is he eventually has seven children by her, six boys and Dinah, the daughter. So if you're thinking, mm, he hates that woman, well, not too bad. <laughs> so, I mean, you got to think about it that way. So keep it in perspective when it said, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bare a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, surely the Lord hath looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, because the Lord hath heard that I was hated, he hath therefore given me this son also. She called his name Simeon. And I realized that these names all mean something. We don't have time to go into that. That's another whole uh, lesson or sermon, in my opinion. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bare a son and said, Now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore was his name called Levi. And she conceived again and bare a son and said, Now will I praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah, which of course means praise, and left bearing. And when Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel said to her sister, Well, honey, at least you're having children for my husband, and I'm so happy that we can share this man together. <laughs> Doesn't quite read like that, does it? Not quite. When Rachel saw that she bare Jacob no children, Rachel envied her sister and said unto Jacob, Give me children, or else I die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, Am I in God's stead, who hath withheld from thee the fruit of the womb? And she said, Behold my maid Billah, go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have children by her. She gave him Billah, her handmaid, to wife. And Jacob went in unto her. And Bella conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and hath also heard my voice and hath given me a son. Therefore she called his name Dan. And Bella, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bare Jacob a son, a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister. Can you imagine the strife that was in that family? And she said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. She called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she took Zilpah, her maid, and gave her to Jacob to wife. And... Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. And Leah said, A troop cometh. She called his name Gad. Zilpah, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a second son. And Leah said, Happy am I. The score is six to two now. 
for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And Reuben went in the days of the wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Give me, I pray thee, of thy son's mandrakes. And she said unto her, Oh, sure, is it a small matter that thou hast taken my husband? And wouldest thou take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, Therefore, I'll make you a deal. He shall lie with thee tonight for thy son's mandrakes. Jacob came out of the field in the evening, and Leah went out to meet him and said, Thou must come in unto me, for surely I have hired thee with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God hath given me my hire because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again and bare Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God hath endued me with a good dowry. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bare a daughter and called her name Dinah. And God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her and opened her womb. And she conceived and bare a son and said, God hath taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and said, The Lord shall add to me another son, which in fact he did, and his name is Benjamin. That comes later on. I want to preach to you tonight. I call this... Twelve kids of chaos. Twelve kids of chaos. You talk about a dysfunctional, we used to hear this, not so much anymore. I don't hear the term as much anymore, but I can remember when dysfunctional family was kind of the buzzword going around be, uh, because of the turmoil and the confusion in the homes and in families and the divorce rate and such as that. The dysfunctional family. This has to be the model of a dysfunctional family, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. It's not a pretty story at all. Father, we ask your blessings on our time in the Word now, and we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit. And might you help us, O oh God, to benefit and profit. This is certainly more than history. This is certainly more than an unfortunate time in the life of one of the patriarchs and in the family of one of the patriarchs. Certainly it's more than that. So help us to learn. Help us to have our spiritual ears open, to be sensitive uh, to how your Holy Spirit might work and speak to our own hearts as we continue to consider the Jacob life and the results of it. So bless, we pray, and we'll thank you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. May you be seated. When you get into the story this far, you almost have to stop and remind yourself, wait a minute. I'm not reading about some pagan family that worshiped Baal. 
I'm not work, reading about some Canaanite family somewhere or some Philistine or Moabite family. We're talking about the family of Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. And it's ugly, isn't it? It is. It is. You may not want to answer, but it is. As a matter of fact, I think if most of us, if we just kind of use our imagination here, most of us, if we were in the place of God, we might have left this kind of stuff out. You, you know what I mean? Because this is the man that God made a covenant with. Uh, this is a man that is going to, in his family line, become a blessing to all the nations of the earth. You and I know that that ultimately means that this is going to be the seed or the family through which the Messiah, the Son of God, is going to come, the Savior of our sin, the Savior of the world. And, I, and I'm just saying, had, you, had this been a human effort here uh, and such promises behind the covenant with his family, I don't think we'd have put in as many details as we have here. Because let's face it, this is shameful. There's not another way to say it. There's not a nice way to say it. This is absolutely shameful behavior, what is taking place here. And we have to understand and believe that God put it here for our learning and for our admonition. In other words, this is to teach us. It's not here just so we can beat up on the failures of the past. That's not why these kind of accounts are here. So they can be what a miserable wretch, what a failure Jacob was. Isaac, see what he got by being a passive father and on and on we could go. But it's here, not because of some history lesson to beat up on the failures of the past, but it's actually here to confront us about us. That's why it's here. To confront us about ourselves. That's always the purpose of the preaching of the Word of God and taking the accounts in the Word of God and laying them out before us today because this is the living Word of God. And though this story is very old and it's a long time past since all of this happened, in the living Word of God, it's still speaking. We better hear what it's saying. Now, <clears throat> we just read this account of the children that were born to Leah and to Rachel's handmaid, and then to Leah's handmaid, and finally to Rachel. So now this man has four wives, this family. And we talked about last night the boomerang effect, how that God has so designed that our words and our actions uh, find their way back to us. And of course, I read the definition of the boomerang uh, last night, and it has to do with words or deeds that come back to the damage of the one who sent them out. And now we have the deeds of Jacob and the damage is coming back and it's massive. It, it is really massive. In fact, what we're going to do right now, now you got you to stay with me here on this. We're going to put this account on hold where we just read and look into the future of the family. All right. So we're, we're, I'm not going to turn to all the accounts and read them. I'm just going to give you the overview of them. And you can by reading the whole account of the family of Jacob and what happens uh, where we're eventually going, where God continues to deal with him until his death. 
And so, but we're going to put a stop to it right here and look into the future of this family. Now, here's what I mean with that. For example, if you went to look in chapter number 34, here's what you would find. You would find a story about Dinah, the daughter that was born to Jacob and Leah, and two of her sons, Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi. Now, in this particular case, uh, we're going to eventually get here, where they come back from Padan Aram and go back to Bethel or go back to the land of Canaan, go back to the land of promise. Okay, So as you look into chapter 34, they are on their way back, but they're not all the way back to where they are supposed to be. They stop in the place called Shechem. And you can look on your Old Testament map sometime and see where it's situated in relation to the Jordan River and to the Holy Land, the Promised Land, and such as that. So they come back to the land of Shechem. Now, in the land of Shechem, there is a man there by the name of Hamor, and he would be like the king or the ruler of this people group. And he had a son by the name of Shechem. And so Shechem went out one day, and while he was out, he happened onto Dinah. Now, Dinah had all these brothers, as far as we know. She was the only female in the group and had all these brothers. So uh, she decided, I'm going to go out and see if I can meet some of the daughters of the Shechemites here. Some of the daughters of the land is the way it's described in the Bible. And so when Dinah went out, she ran onto or he ran into her, Shechem did, and he was very much attracted to her and eventually defiled her and went and told his father, I want this woman to be my wife. So if you can imagine, you had Jacob and his family and what were there, about 70 of them all together. You can get the exact number if you look it up. I should remember it. I think it's right around 70. And so there are about that many and they are on their way back. And so uh, Dinah goes out to see if she can meet some other people and, and Shechem finds her and wants to marry her. And so Hamor, the dad, and Shechem, the son, they go to Jacob and his sons and start trying to negotiate a deal so they would give the daughter of Jacob to be the wife of the son of Hamor. We'll just, we'll, we'll work into a, an agreement here. And in the process of that, the account says that the brothers of Dinah, the sons of Jacob, they said to the men of Shechem, no, 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 we can't do that. And the reason we can't do that basically is we are in a covenant relationship with our God, Jehovah, and uh, the mark of our covenant relationship with him is the circumcision of all the males and we couldn't possibly give away one of our daughters to the uncircumcised. So the only way that we could have any kind of a relationship at all is that if all of your males were circumcised. Now, I'm not going to take the time and I'll let you go with your own imagination on what that would entail and the painfulness that the men of Shechem would endure if they do that. However, in order for them to be able to trade with Jacob and his family. Here's what the sons proposed. Uh, if, if we'd be able to trade with you, that would be some economic opportunities there, an economic gain. People will do some weird things for economic gain. 
you know. And so you, if you did this, then we could have some economic uh, opportunities for trade here. And then we could take your daughters for our sons and give our daughters to your sons. And we could have that kind of a relationship together. And so Shechem got aside and Hamor and talked to the men of Shechem. And they said, let's go for it. There's some economic, economic opportunity here. And besides that, uh, not only would it be money, but it would be the uh, appetite they had to have the daughters of their sons and give their daughters to their sons and have this kind of, real, let's go for it. But Levi and Simeon were up to something. They didn't have in mind a long-term relationship with the Shechemites because if you read the whole account, you'll see that they were terribly disturbed that their, that their sister had been defiled by this Shechem guy. Very disturbed. They were very angry. Well, then why are they going along with this relationship? Well, they agreed to circumcision and the men of the Shechemites were circumcised, which left them very incapable of mobility for a certain number of days. And at the point of greatest vulnerability, Simeon and Levi go in among the Shechemites and kill them. They go kill them. They slay them. They take them out. And then the word gets back to Jacob and says, you know what your sons just did? Your sons just went in among the Shechemites and killed every one of them. And Jacob is beside himself now. And he is saying, what kind of sons do I have? Why, those deceitful boys, they got them to enter into this relationship uh, uh, and agree to circumcision just so they could kill them. Why, that is deceptive. Why, why, why that is underhanded. Why, why, we're going to make all the inhabitants of the land hate us. And we're going to stink in their sight is the term that's used. And so you have that situation where they went in and literally slaughtered a whole people group. All the males of an entire people group killed them, deceived them. The Shechemite men walked right into that trap and it cost them their lives, killed them. That's quite a traumatic thing. Then if you went to the next chapter, you went into chapter 35, what you'd read there is the case of Reuben. You see, as you go on in chapter 35, if I can just get you to think ahead with me now, we got this story on pause and we're gonna come back to it, but we're looking ahead and we're seeing not only that kind of behavior, the death of the Shechemites by deceit, Simeon and Levi, but now Rachel has born Benjamin and died in the process. So Reuben, then, the eldest of Jacob's children, works on a relationship with his own father's concubine and defiles, morally defiles himself and her in that relationship. Jacob is terribly disturbed, as you can imagine, by that. What kind of man is he anyway? What kind of moral standard is he given to anyway? Jacob is very disturbed about that. And then you go on to chapter 37. And there you have the case of the jealous brothers. You know how that Jacob had been given the coat of many colors and 
I think there are people that maybe read too much into that, but the coat of many colors had to do with the kind of man that Jacob was. I read one commentator, pastor, I really like this, that said Jacob was a green, uh, was a gray head on green shoulders, which means he was always more wise than his age. And he had a gray head on green shoulders. I thought that was really good. I can tell you're not impressed, so we'll just move on. But that's the way he described it. And so what Jacob did is he gave uh, Joseph responsibility that he knew the other guys couldn't stand. They were not capable of it. But he knew the behavior of, uh, of uh, Joseph and the kind of young man that he was, he, he knew what he could handle. And so he gave him the coat of many colors and that was an issue with the men. He sent the other sons off to take care of sheep. And finally he said to him, I want you to go to where they are and, uh, and see how they are doing. In fact, they were supposed to be in the land of the Shechemite, probably still praying off of that previous encounter there. So they got the sheep there. You go check on them. Joseph goes to check on them on behalf of his father and they're not there. And finally somebody tells him, we saw your brothers and we know where they are. They're over here and he told them what land, in the land of Doth and so you're going to go over there. You'll find him there. He went. And as they saw Joseph coming, they got together and said, we ought to kill him. They despised him. They despised the favor that the father had shown him. They despised Joseph for revealing the dream. And I don't believe Joseph was some kind of an arrogant little hothead. And he couldn't wait to tell his brothers the dream that one day they would uh, bow down to his authority, as would mother and dad bow down to his authority. I, I, I don't think Joseph had an attitude about it. I just think there was a terrible, terrible uh, sense of jealousy among them. And they despised Joseph and they said, let's slay him. Let's take him out of the picture. And finally, uh, Judah, uh, 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 Reuben spoke up actually, and said, no, 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 we shouldn't do that. Uh, we don't want to try to cover up his blood. Uh, why don't we make some money off of him, Judah said. And so here came along some traveling uh, uh, men that were in the slave market, and they uh, came along and they sold Joseph. They took him down into Egypt and he was sold as a slave in Egypt to the house of Potiphar. You know the story. And there God blessed him and advanced him. And we, we know how that goes. But the boys go back and they say to the father, is this your son's uh, coat? This coat that you gave him? Uh, they put animal blood on the coat and tore it up to make it look like an animal destroyed him and went back and deceived. Can you, can you believe somebody would do this? Lied to their own father? Killed their brother? Jacob is old, getting old, loves his son Joseph, and they knew it. And they sell him as a slave, then go back and lie to him about his condition and his welfare and what happened to him. Can you believe that? Deceivers, liars, where'd they learn this kind of life anyway? Yeah, see what I mean? It just keeps coming back. And then you move ahead about Judah. And this is not a pretty story. But Judah, you know, the one named Praise. Judah, our Savior, is called in the Word of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the King. And he came through this, this line. I, I, I mean, David came through this line. 
the, the line of Judah and Solomon came through this line and our good kings, Hezekiah, Josiah, they were all of that tribe of Judah. Judah had two sons, Onan and Ur. And they were both so wicked, God killed them. One of them had a wife, but he had no seed left. He had no counted a great curse. If a man it leaves his life, he didn't have any seed to carry on his name, and he died. His brother was supposed to take his wife, and then the first child uh, by that brother then would be uh, to carry on the seed of the deceased. But that brother wasn't playing the game, and he didn't cooperate in the matter, and so God killed him. So you got two sons of Jacob, uh, of Judah, and they're dead. And, and it says it. I know this is hard for 21st century people out, out here to lay hold of. God killed them. He took them out. He is God, you know. And he did that. Judah is grieved about that, no doubt. And then his own wife died. And Judah had another son that he pretty much promised the widow that when he gets old enough, then you can have him and you can carry on the seed for the deceased through him. But time went on and forgot about that. Never paid any attention to that kind of process that was supposed to take place. And after Judah's own wife died, he went to another part of the country to visit a friend. And when he was going along, he saw a harlot, by the way, what he assumed was just a harlot, a prostitute. And he went in unto her. That's, that's sad enough. But what he found out later, that was his daughter-in-law. And she set him up for this kind of a trap because he didn't take care of business to make sure that son that remained would then become her husband to carry on the seed of the deceased. So she had her own way of getting back, made herself to look a prostitute, set him up for the trap, and she had a child by her own father-in-law. I know this is ugly, and it gets uglier, doesn't it? It just, it's terrible. And we look at this situation, we say, my soul, what in the world is going on here? I mean, what's the matter with these men? Uh, because you, you got them messing up all along the line here. Uh, all, all, all of these sons, and they were uh, not all of them named in particular ways like Simeon and Levi, not like Reuben was pointed out, not necessarily like Judah was pointed out. But come on, they were all involved in what happened to Joseph. And you look at the picture and you look at the situation and you think, what in the world is going on? This is absolute confusion. This is absolute chaos. What is it that is taking place here? And the, the answer to that is this. They are 12 kids of chaos. And what on earth would a person expect from them to begin with? Look at the environment in our account. Look at the environment in which they came into the world. Look at the environment in which they were raised and brought up. Why would we expect right behavior out of them when you consider how they were raised? You go through the story here. Leah has four boys. She has four sons. She is feeling so good about the situation. 
uh, when the last one is born, she is praising the Lord. My husband is going to love me. Can you feel the tension and the competition between Rachel and Leah? Isn't this a sad picture here? Well, it really is. And there's this tension and there's this jealousy and there's this envy there. And Leah is just so proud. She's probably saying something like this. I may not have got the looks, which she definitely did not. She was fair eyed, but Rachel was beautiful, which means she wasn't. And I can just see uh, Leah pretty much playing this card. You got the looks, I got the babies. Take that. That was going on. That was taking place among them. Mm. Ugly, ugly. And then finally Rachel comes to Jacob and she says, you give me children or I die. Now that's what she said. She's very angry with him. And Jacob's looking at her like, woman, did you ever consider I might not be the problem? I'm already the father of four sons. And you're saying to me, give me children like, or, or, or else I die, like I can control this situation. If God has shut your womb, I have no ability to make it different. If God has said you don't have children, then I have no ability to make sure that you do. And yet Rachel is angry with him. And now, uh, and, and now Jacob is angry with Rachel. Excuse me. We got kids growing up watching all of this. I said, we got four kids that are starting to grow up and they're watching all of this. Excuse me. If they're not seeing very much, they're at least feeling the tension. Don't just think about what they might be feeling. Think about what is absent and what they are not experiencing. That they need to experience to grow to be the kind of men they're supposed to be. Rachel says, now, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to take my wife, Billa. And I'm going to give you Billa, and I will have a daughter by her, a child by her, rather. And then that child will be called my child. I'll have her by proxy. You take Billa, and, and you have a child by her. And Jacob does. Okay. Twice. She has two sons. And now Rachel's feeling vindicated. Oh, this is so much better. Finally, the Lord has heard me and the Lord's blessed me. And I now have two sons. Rachel, honey, what you got now is more confusion and more chaos than you had before. That's exactly what is happening here. As now her maid, Billa, has had two sons. Well, in the meantime, Leah has stopped bearing children. And so Leah goes to her maid and says to Zilpah, I'm going to give you to my husband and, you, and he's going to come into you and I'm going to have children by, by her. And I can just see uh, Leah saying to Jacob, now you're going to go into my maid and Jacob might have done this. I'm just kind of reading between the lines. Jacob might have said, no, 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 wait a minute. No, don't wait a minute me. You did it for her. You'll do it for me. If you're going to do it for Rachel, you're going to do it for me. I'm the one that's giving you the most children. I say, I'm going to have more children by my maid. Jacob says, Okay. Now look what we got. If confusion is going to come because one man has two wives, how's it going to go with four? I want you to think about that. And this is exactly what has happened. This is the, this is the hard facts about the story. 
And, and I, I wish you'd think about what kind of chaos, what kind of confusion uh, in which they were raised. Think about that for just a little bit. Think about the innuendos. Think about the jealousy between the fact that the maids, and I can prove it later on in the series, that there was favor that was shown to them so that the maids, well, they got the least favor. And Leah's maid would have got the least favor. And then Rachel's maid would have got the next favor. And then Leah's child would have the next favor. And then when Joseph was finally born, well, we know how that favor went. Is everybody with me here? And if you just imagine these boys, they all had to grow up into manhood. Before they were able to kill, uh, before they were able to kill the Shechemites, before they were able, ladies and gentlemen, uh, to perform the acts that they performed that we read about, and others like selling Joseph into slavery, before they could do that, they all had to be raised up. They all had to grow up. And think about the atmosphere in which they were raised, where there was constant stress, where there was constant confusion, where there was constant chaos, where there was constant jealousy, where there was constant strife. It's just like going to the book of James and reading chapter 3, that the wisdom that is not from above is earthly and it is sensual and it is devilish. That's what the Word of God says. And what does it produce? What did James say it produced? It produces strife. It produces envy. It produces every evil work, every imaginable thing you can think of has to do with the fact that the wisdom from God is totally ignored and they follow the wisdom of the flesh, the wisdom of the world and the ways of the devil. And they are raised in utter chaos and confusion. I said it's not only what they did experience, it's what they didn't experience. What didn't I, what did they not experience? Well, they didn't experience the wisdom that is from above. They didn't experience the wisdom, wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, without partiality. Does everybody listen to this? Without hypocrisy. They miss that completely. They never saw it. They didn't sense love. They sensed jealousy and envy and strife. They didn't experience peace. They didn't experience a family where they are easy, easy to approach and you can deal with the issues that come with growing up. No, they didn't have any of that. And they were raised in that kind of chaos. No wonder we read the horror stories that we read. Well, what's the problem here anyway? Well, I can answer that in one word. Jacob. Jacob is the problem. Well, now, some of these other people, they have to take responsibility. No, nope, Jacob was the problem. He was the head. I said he was the head of the family. And uh, Jacob should have stopped the whole process. What are, you, what are you talking about? Should have stopped the whole process. Well, I'm just going to say that Jacob, if he'd have done what he should have done, when, uh, look at me just a second, when he found out that I am not married to Rachel, I am married to Leah, he knew what God had said in the Garden of Eden 
when he said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. He knew that much of the word of God. He knew how it was supposed to be. It was a part of their life and a part of the covenant that God had made with him. And he understood where he should have been, but he wanted Rachel so bad that he didn't have it in him to say, nope. And go to Rachel and say, I love you more than I'm able to tell. But I'm now 75 years old and I have lived my life getting my way, my way. I have not walked with God. I have not trusted God. I have not depended upon God. I have always done things my way and I am now reaping the confusion that I have sown. I lied to my own dad. I cheated my weak brother. I have been a deceiver living up to my name since I was a little boy coming out of the womb. So I listen to this. And Jacob should have said to Rachel, I love you more than I even know how to say, but you cannot be my wife. I am married to Leah, and that is all I can have. Somebody said, well, that's a little extreme, a little extreme thinking from what point of view? 21st century America? The wisdom of this world? Or the wisdom that is from God? Well, but he loved her. This ain't Hollywood. We're talking about what is right before God and what is not right before God. And God never set up a program whereby a man was supposed to have this kind of a situation in his life. And he should have stopped it right there. Somebody says, well, I, I think you're a little bit extreme there, brother Sam. Well, I don't, but okay, Sam, let's move on. When it came time uh, for uh, Leah to start bearing children and the tension was growing between them and Rachel says, give me children or I die. You can feel the resentment. You can feel the envy and you can feel uh, and you can feel the jealousy that is there. I'm just saying when all of this took place, uh, don't you think that it would have been a good thing for Jacob just to say, well, that's how it is. And, and honey, you're just going to no, you're going to take my maid Bella. Shouldn't something in their family history say to him, that's not good? Didn't your grandpa have a similar situation? That God promised Sarah that she was going to have a child. And now he's nigh unto a hundred and she is nigh unto 90 and they have no children. Actually, they were about 90 and 80 at this particular time. And, and Sarah said, you're going to take my handmaid and have a child. And Abraham says, okay. And obeyed his wife. And they got Ishmael out of the deal. And Ishmaelites are still a plague to the people of God to this very day. To this very day. And besides that, we could go back to the story of Abraham and show that this was uncomfortable. There was strife between Sarah and, uh, the, and the handmaid that was uh, the, her handmaid that bare the child that was going to be uh, Sarah's child, even though it was born by the handmaid. And there was envy and there was jealousy and there was resentment there and there was confusion. Shouldn't Jacob maybe stop and say, no, 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 no. We've got some history in our family that has to do with that kind of stuff. And there's no way I'm taking your maid and having children by her. 
But Jacob was a nice little husband. You want me to take your maid? Okay, if that'll make you happy. So now he commits immorality. This is adultery. Well, back in that day. No, this is adulterous. This is what adultery is. This is what immorality is. For a man to have two wives, even though you're going to go and say, well, Solomon had this and this and had this. Yeah, it's like God put a what? A stamp of approval on it? He never did. It caused confusion and chaos everywhere it ever happened. And, and, and so, hold on just a second. And so Jacob should have said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We can't do that. Well, but he goes ahead and he does it. Now, more children are born. And then, and then Leah comes and says, you're going to take my, you're going to take my handmaid now. Oh, that's not a good plan. You did it for her. You do it for me. Come on, you can feel it. And then finally, Rachel had a child. And eventually a second. The tension was just terrible. Awful. And Jacob's responsible. I said he's responsible. It gets so low, so low, that Reuben goes out in the field and finds mandrakes. I didn't know what mandrakes was. I remember reading it in younger years before I studied it. I thought it was geese or something. I had no idea what mandrakes were. Well, mandrakes were a wild flower. It was like a, it was like a wild flower with a superstition that if you had it in your possession, or a wild apple, a type of fruit, if you had it in your possession, superstition was that it would assist fertility in your house. So they all knew that. And here, here, comes, uh, here comes Reuben in with the mandrakes and says to his mom, look what I got here. I got these mandrakes. And Leah says, oh, yeah, more children. I'm going to win my husband over yet. I'm already ahead quite a bit, but I'm going to win him over yet. And, and, and I'm, oh, this is really great. And Rachel hears about it and says, give me thy son's handbrakes. And I think she laughed, uh, mandrakes. And she must have laughed <laughs> like I give you these mandrakes. It's not enough. You stole my husband. You want the mandrakes too? Rachel said, I'll make you a deal. You can't turn down. You give me the mandrakes. I give you the man. Tonight, when he comes out of the field, he can go to your house. She said, I'll go for that. And Leah gave Rachel the mandrakes. So then Jacob goes to her house. Has two more children by her. Is this sick or what? Is anybody getting sick of this? Are you about ready to move on from this? I'm just trying to tell you, this is unnecessary. And Jacob's the one that's responsible. You see, what the family needed is somebody stand up and say, no. I said right back at the very beginning, he should have said to, he should have said to Rachel, no, I can't take you to be my wife now. Yeah, but you were deceived. Yeah, and I've been a deceiver. Honey, all that's happened to me is the, the boomerang has come back and found me. 
I threw those kind of deeds out there. I'm the one that tossed them out there. Words and deeds. Everybody listen to this. I'm the one that tossed them out there. Now they come back to hit me and to bite me. And I can't do anything about it now. But I just know this. We're going to have a life of confusion and chaos if we don't stop this and get serious about God and before God Almighty. And, and that's what we got to do. God already appeared to me and said he's going to be with me and he's going to help me. And he's not going to depart from me. That's what he did back there when that ladder was up and down. And he's going to give me everything I need. I can't do this. We can't. He should, he, he should have said, no, we're not going to take the handmaid. We're not going to do that. We're not going to live that way. No, somebody needs to stand up and say, no, we are not going to live that way. We're going to do what's right by God. And he never did it. And we read this kind of mess in the word of God. Excuse me. The spiritual passivity of Isaac now belongs to Jacob. Because all this while, Jacob did everything he was told to do. Uh, well, you married her because you got deceived. Now marry Rachel. Yeah, that's what I'll do, marry Rachel. And now she can have a child, so have a child by her handmaid. Uh, well, yeah, that's it. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, well, now you got to have a child or two by her handmaid. Okay, okay. And now you, you know, now you got to go back to Leah's house because of the mandrake trade. And you got to go there. Okay, okay. And just whatever his bossy wives told him to do, he said, okay. Spiritually, Passive, indifferent to the violation of God's moral standards completely and just totally ignored it. He just wasn't interested. You know, we live in a really weird time, don't we? I'm just saying right now. I remember years ago saying, there are signs on the horizon, there's indication, uh, clouds on the horizon that some, uh, some of the freedoms that we've known may not be here forever, that our culture is changing. And I used to say, they're out there on the horizon. I don't say out on the horizon anymore. They're right under our nose right now. We're about to lose this country as we've known it. And the moral decline has just spiraled. What do we expect? I said, what do we expect? People talk about all the violence in the world. Well, our whole nation has been entertained by Hollywood with all manner of violence for generations now. I said for generations. What do we expect? A nonviolent society? Oh, you're blaming Hollywood. Hollywood's definitely played her part. That's for sure. I can remember standing up and preaching about movies and the immorality there and the bloodshed and, the, and the, the terror and the violence that's there. And people sat back and send their kids off to the movies and let them watch it. And then they buy them video games that shows more violence and people being blown off the map. And then they're wondering why we have school shootings and violence in the street. It's been crammed down the throat of our culture for the last 70 years. Thanks to Hollywood and liberal minded producers and haters of righteousness and decency. Yeah. Yeah, but just the way people treat God, our schools, our public education, and higher education has been loaded, overloaded with communists and Marxists, 
secularists, atheists, evolutionists for 65, 70 years. What do you think? What do you expect in Washington, D.C.? A bunch of fundamentalists? Are you kidding me? Yeah. But you know what most homes in this church need and in the homes that Southwest need? Southwest Baptist Church back home, every church where there's, there's genuinely there are people of God. You know what's needed? A dad, a husband. See, God already took care of this. Because let me tell you what God did to Rachel and to Leah and to your wife and to my wife. He said back in the book of Genesis, when he is announcing the curse of the fall upon the ground, upon the serpent, upon the man working by the sweat of his brow, he said to the woman, thy desire shall be to thy husband and he shall rule over thee. Well, that can possibly mean that that's, that's what God meant. <laughs> uh, he meant exactly what he said. You know, I need to provide leadership for her because she wants me to. What if she says, I don't want you to? I believe God, not her. God put it in her to desire. I'm not talking about a dictator, a little Napoleon or a Hitler running around the house, ordering everybody what to do and threatening everybody. That's not what I'm talking about. But loving according to how God's word says that a husband is supposed to love his wife and be loved by his wife, then I know that it's in her to desire that I take the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of the home. And so does your wife. <laughs> you don't know my wife. Then you don't believe what God said that he put in a woman. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Yeah, Brother Sam, you sit down and do some counseling and try that. I have. I bet there's some women disagree with that. They have. My, word, my Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. I don't care if a woman sits there and says, I don't want my husband having any authority in my life. I know deep down that's exactly what she needs and that's what she desires. She's not too prideful. She is too prideful to express it. I said there's too much pride to admit it. But that's what God put in a woman for her husband to be a spiritual leader of their household. Thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall, what's those next words? Rule over thee. Well, you see, uh, I came from a culture where, uh, somebody might say, I came from a culture where it was very matriarchal. Yeah, well, God took all of that into consideration when he inspired his word. I'll sit down and name him myself if you don't wake up and join me in this thing. I'm, I'm here to tell you the truth. God took all of that into consideration. Yeah, we have, well, we have a whole lot of different cultural differences. I mean, I've preached in churches that culturally, uh, the, the culture was totally matriarchal. 
We have missionaries who come home and say, Brother Sam, you don't realize in our country, it is a total matriarchal society. And I want to say to them, well, I don't know how long it's been since you lived in the United States, but we have become and are becoming a matriarchal society where women are in control. And I just have to tell you now, based on the authority of the Bible, that women are running everything in this country and running for offices and serving in the military and fighting the battles that women have such a role is from the viewpoint of heaven and the almighty God, not a blessing. That's not a blessing. That's a sad commentary on the state of a nation when many women are in places of responsibility and authority by default because there aren't men being men. That's right. And what was needed in that house is needed in homes today. I said what was needed there is needed now. What's that? Well, there needs to be some dad that stands up and says, no, no, no. We will not watch that in our house. No, you will not have games that glorify violence and sin. No, you will not go see movies that glorify violence and evil and wickedness. No, we're not going to watch it in the house and you're not going to see it. But my friends, I'm not responsible for your friends. I'm responsible for you. That's what we need. Some dads that will say to his wife, honey, come here just a second. Let me talk to you a minute. Do you really mean to be exposing as much of yourself as you are by wearing that? You're my wife. And what God made of you to be attractive to the opposite sex is supposed to be for me and no one else. So you're not going to wear that. Take a daughter and say, come here, honey. See, honey, you don't know how boys are. They're so weird. They like to look at legs. That's how weird boys are. So, as weird as that is, they're not going to be looking at yours. Is still on? Yes. Is everybody with me here? Amen. No. And we will be going to church. And you won't be missing youth group. And the Lord is going to be first in our house. And that attitude won't be tolerated. I'm not talking about a tyrant. Look at me a second. But I am talking about men that spiritually outgrow their wives. Now, I, I pastored for 36 years. You can, you, my wife's sitting right down here. You can talk to her about it. I love the women of our church. My Bible says I'm supposed to treat the older women like mothers and the younger women like sisters. Well, I never had 
lady church members that I treated as bad as my sisters. <laughs> but I, I really cared for my sisters and all of that. But I'm to treat the elderly ladies like mothers and the younger ladies like sisters and care about them. And let me just say this. One of the greatest joys in seeing uh, counseling and helping couples come together is then to see the man outgrow his wife spiritually. Now, let me finish what I started to say a little bit ago. I want women to be spiritual. I love the fact that many women in our churches are spiritual minded. They don't ever have to have their husband to tell them to dress modest. They know they're spiritual minded, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, know what's carnal and evil and wicked, no matter what the fashions of the world are saying. What do they know? What do they care about you and morality? They don't. Now, I want women to be spiritual. And I love the fact we've had spiritual women to pastor. Haven't we, Sandra? Some really ladies of God. I love that. I love for them to be there and what they contribute to the life of the church. But something's wrong if a man doesn't grow enough spiritually to actually spiritually lead his household. I said that one time from the pulpit at Southwest, this even since I was out of the pastorate. And I had this couple come up to me after church. And I can remember when they came to church back in 1991. I went there in 90, so it's a long time ago. And this just happened in the past 12 months, six to 12 months. And this lady came up to me and she said, Brother Sam, what you said about your husband outgrowing the wife? He said, you remember, she said, you remember when we came here that he, he wasn't even saved. He got saved here. Yeah. And I said, then we've gone along and, and oh man, he's a, he's a wonderful guy. His name's David. He came along and he grew. They had several children. And I, we watched as David grew and grew and grew. Well, she wasn't like a spiritual giant or anything when they came. She'd been out in the world and got right with God. But she was way ahead of him as far as understanding the Bible and understanding church life and all of that kind of thing. And she was a huge blessing, a singer, and a blessing, my wife and I loved her dearly, wonderful lady. But we watched David outgrow her spiritually. So what'd she do? Did she backslide? No, David just grew like a man's supposed to grow to put himself in a place to lead his family. And she said, it's so funny you mention that because I can remember a stretch where I knew he was outgrowing me and I said to God, what's wrong with me? Because I felt like I was kind of flat. I felt like I was just not really going anywhere. And he was just growing and growing by leaps and bounds. And I just felt like I was being left behind. And then she said, I kept taking that to God. And then guess who helped me go on from there? Her husband did. And she said, I didn't really know how to say it. But I watched my husband spiritually outgrow me so he could lead his family. <laughs> I can tell not everybody's enjoying this, but I think it's beautiful because God made the man the head. Head. He, he made the man the head of the home. The head of the home. The man. Manly head of the house. Spiritually. Spiritually, not who's going to take the trash out, 
throw that in there if you want to, but spiritually, seeing that the family develops. You think if Jacob would have taken that seriously, we'd be reading the horror stories we read today? No. You think the chaos that those kids grew up in and then created themselves could have been fended off by a spiritual leader that was their father? What do you think? Yeah, it could have. Well, he didn't and paid a horrible price. I said he didn't and paid a horrible price. And there's still a horrible price to pay for the spiritual, listen to this, passivity on the part of those that are supposed to be spiritually leading the household. Let's, let's learn from that. It's not like I think there aren't any men that get this. I'm, I'm very confident there are. But ladies understand it. Support your husband. Pray for your husband that way. And children, if you've got a dad that cares, I mean that cares about you, what comes into the eye gate and the ear gate, and he cares about your life and how the, the condition of our world and our culture and society, the crazy direction he's trying to protect you from it. Thank God. Thank Jesus for a father that wants to be the spiritual leader of his home. We don't need more children of chaos raised in our culture out of churches like this and back home and where there are authentic churches, we need men to do everything they can to avoid the Jacob life and be the men we're supposed to be. Father, bless now the invitation time.